in the pew before you and take a minute and fill those out. If you are a guest here with us this, this morning, this will give us an opportunity to welcome you to the church, and so we would encourage you to leave us an email or a phone number or something. We'd love to get in touch with you. Also, keep in mind that we have a Connection Central booth in the foyer, and uh, we encourage you to go back there afterwards and get a, get a uh, gift and uh, pick up a brochure that describes a little bit about our church, and that would be um, a way to get, to get to know our church a little bit better. In terms of announcements, the first one is kind of a fun announcement because uh, Jessica and Taishi had their baby this past week. <laughs> Little Ellie Inoue was uh, born six pounds, eight ounces, and uh, 21 inches. I get these details because Chelsea wants to know these type of things. <laughs> Th this means nothing to me, but... Uh, uh, but but uh, the, the, if, you, if you like numbers, those are the numbers. One of the things with little baby Ellie that was we spent a lot of time in prayer about was we understood that uh, the baby would be born with a cleft palate. And, uh, and by God's grace, uh, the baby was not born with a cleft palate. Do, does have a cleft lip, but that is far less severe and so that is actually, I talked to Jessica last night, and she just expressed many times over they feel very blessed by God. And so uh, I, am, I think we all can praise the Lord together for that. Uh, second thing I just want to highlight, last week was Fun Fest, so thank you to everyone who helped out with Fun Fest. First of all, thank you to Stephanie. Stephanie, raise your hand. Stephanie did a great job organizing all of the activities, and, and she asked me to make sure that everyone that helped out, she knows, wants you to know that she's very grateful, especially our youth, put in a lot of time towards that. And it was a great day, a really great day all around. So thank you uh, to everyone that helped that make, a, make that day happen. Our West Cabina pumpkin run is now only three weeks away, less than three weeks and uh, so if you are uh, wanting to help out, there are sign-up sheets in the, on the table in the hall outside the uh, social hall. This is a race that we host for the city of West Covina, and all the proceeds go to the senior center. So this is a fantastic op a service opportunity for us to get outside of our four walls here and to serve our community and to make a difference. And so please uh, consider signing up and volunteering. Uh, as the announcements say, on s October 7th at 9 o'clock, there will be a 5K goodie bag stuffing. And then also Stephanie's in charge of the food for that event, and she said that uh, she could still use some baked goods. So if you're willing to bring some baked goods on the day of the race, uh, please talk to her. Lastly, in, in way of announcements, uh, I, I do need to highlight next week after the worship service, we'll have a special congregational meeting to answer questions and to vote on receiving Pastor Stephen Yu as community pastor. And so in light of that, let me introduce Pastor Steve to you. Pastor Stephen Yu, um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a minute, okay? Just hang on. We'll, 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 uh, we'll applaud. Um, uh, he's gone through the, uh, the long interview process with the uh, search committee and with our staff and uh, so it is, it is my pleasure to introduce him as, as a candidate for this pastoral position. 
Stephen has been married to Esther for almost five years. Esther, wait, wait, wave your hand. Uh, and uh, they have two little ones. Mateo just turned two this past week. And uh, Steve has told me, without a doubt, he's the next Clayton Kershaw. So that's a good thing. Uh, the Dodgers need the help right now. They need a second Clayton, uh, Kershaw, that's for sure. Um, and then they have a three-month-old justice, so two little ones at home. If being a Dodger fan is a good thing, he also has a mark for him that he's a Trojan. He went to USC. And if that doesn't sit right with you, his wife went to UCLA. Oh, man. This is, this is not good. Uh, but it's a divided house, and a divided house uh, takes some strategic learning to, to handle compromise, right? These are good things for pastoral candidates to have. And I have always thought if you're married to a Bruin, you're going to have to learn to be a sympathetic person. A lot of grieving in that household. Uh, but all kidding aside, enough with the football jokes, uh, I, I, it has been a pleasure for me to get to know Pastor Steve. And, uh, and I hope that today you have an opportunity to get to know him a little bit. And uh, one way is that we are delighted to have him come and to deliver God's word to us. So won't you join with me in welcoming Pastor Steve? morning. Uh, thank you uh, for the introduction, Pastor Corey. Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. John chapter 3, verses uh, 1 to 16. And uh, as you're finding your way towards that uh, passage of Scripture, let me just uh, briefly say uh, what an absolute joy it is to be here with you, uh, to worship with you, at West Covina Christian Church and to bring you uh, God's word. Um, in just a short two and a half months that I've gotten to know uh, Pastor Corey and Pastor Rick, uh, I've grown a, a very deep appreciation uh, for them and for the congregation and a, a deep admiration for what the Holy Spirit is doing in your church. Uh, and so I'm thankful and honored to stand before you and to bring you uh, God's word. Again, our, our scripture reading is from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. This is the word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let us pray. I didn't expect this to come out. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit does that sometimes. Uh, let us pray. God, we need you. Lord, we need you. We come before you, Lord. Humbly come before you, asking that your word would heal our souls. That it would heal our spirit, our contrite spirit, Lord. That you would heal our broken hearts. That you would cleanse us from within. For there are many of us who came in through that door desperately needing to see your face. And so God, we just ask that your presence would overwhelm us, that your presence would heal us, that your presence would lift us up with your beautiful and righteous right hand. Lord, we need you to hear your word. And so we ask in the name of Jesus that you would silence any voice, Lord, that is not of you. Lord, we renounce any voice, Lord, that tries to set itself up against the knowledge of your word in the name of Jesus. And we humbly come before you, acknowledging that it is only by the Spirit that we hear, and that it is by the Spirit of God that we are transformed. Lord, may my words exalt your name. Lord, may I die. May there be less of me and more of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I, uh, when I read the Gospel of John, um, I can't help but to notice uh, Jesus' directness and his forthrightness. Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John are, what do you want, to his first two disciples. There's no beating around the bush with Jesus. Jesus' words in each of his interactions are direct and straight to the point. To Peter, 
Jesus, he gives a word of knowledge and he says, you are Simon, son of John. He not only gives him a word of knowledge telling him what his name is, but he tells him what his father's name is. And he goes on to change his name. He says, you will be called Cephas. Then to Philip, he says, follow me. To Nathaniel, Jesus prophesies. He says, the heavens will open and you will see angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. To his, to his mother, he says, woman, why do you involve me? To the religious leaders, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. To the merchants and the money changers in the temple, he calls them thieves. All of this in just the first two chapters of John. Then we come to our text. We come to our text and to Nicodemus, Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And throughout the Gospel of John, we, we see this forthrightness, this directness, this boldness from Jesus continue. What we find is that in each conversation, in each statement, in each question that Jesus asks, Jesus' words, it strikes at the heart of the individual's heart. It strikes at the heart of the religious institution, and it strikes at the heart of the system, system governing the people of the Jews. And so the story of Nicodemus, the reason why it's so important is because Nicodemus, he embodies the individual. He embodies the religious institution, and he embodies the system of government. In verse 1, Nicodemus, he's introduced to us as a man. He's introduced to us as a Pharisee. He's introduced to us as a ruler of the Jews. Now, as a man, Nicodemus, he embodies the individuality of the Jewish people who have been desperately anticipating the coming of the Messiah. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus, he represents the religious institution that was extremely devoted to the law of Moses, and they believed that by their strict obedience to the law, they could usher in the kingdom of God. As a ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus, he represents the Sanhedrin, which was the 70-member governing body that provided theocratic law and order to the people of the Jews. You see, in this one conversation, Jesus confronts every facet of Nicodemus' world. His humanity, his religious institution, and the system governing the Jews. John wants us to know that Jesus' message is controversial, it's confrontational, and it's unsettling. Because what Jesus offers us is a new life that doesn't just simply fix the individual's life so that they become a better person. What Jesus offers is to rebuild the entire religious institution. What he offers is to restore the entire system that governs the people. And what we see is that there are some who accept Jesus' message. And there are some who reject it. 
and literally spit upon it. And the thing is, those who we would think are less likely to accept Jesus' message are the ones who actually accept it. Right, like the Samaritan woman. While the theologians, the rabbis, the intellectuals, the religious, the very people who claim and proclaim and declare to know God, like Nicodemus, they only offer up questions to Jesus and some even accusations. And why is that? Because with Jesus' message, there's just too much at stake. By accepting Jesus' message, Nicodemus, he would need to surrender over every aspect of his life. He would have to give up his status as a holy man. He would have to give up his high-ranking government position. He would have to give up his power in the community. Let me suggest this morning, to a certain degree, all of us are Nicodemus. We're all Nicodemus. There's a part of us, our flesh, our carnal nature, that doesn't like the idea of having to fully let go and accepting Jesus' message fully. There's a flesh in us that wants Christianity only to the degree that it's safe, where the cost isn't too high, and we still get to maintain control certain of certain areas of our lives like Nicodemus. My goal for this morning is simple. First, it's to realize that our religious efforts, it plays absolutely no part in our rebirth, in our born-again experience, and can actually be a hindrance to fully accepting Jesus' message. Second, it's to establish that being born again is not a one-time conversion experience that happens to us, but it's a lifelong process of sanctification in and only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Third, it's to see that God's love, God's love is the motivation and inspiration and source behind our rebirth and this gift that Jesus Christ gives us called eternal life. Let me bring your attention to verse 2 of our text. It says, The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus, being one of those who witnessed Jesus performing his miracles in John 2.23, he comes to Jesus at night to inquire about him. He's thinking, I've seen these miracles. Could this guy really be the Messiah? So he comes to Jesus with his well-thought-out theological framework of who he thinks and believes that the Messiah is. One that he developed as a rabbi, as a theologian, as a man of influence, as a man with power. And he attempts to confirm Jesus' messiahship by seeing if 
Jesus fits into his theological paradigm. And so he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice that he refers to Jesus as a rabbi. He refers to Jesus as a teacher come from God. He refers to, te- uh, he refers to Jesus as a miracle worker who God is with. And what we see Nicodemus doing is actually going through a checklist for Jesus to confirm. But looking back, again, a couple verses in John 2.24, we read that Jesus didn't entrust himself even to those who believed him. Because he knew, Jesus knew what was in each person's heart. You see, Jesus, he could have seen this test that Nicodemus was giving him. And he could have conveniently leveraged Nicodemus's upstanding social status to help him drive the mission of God and to prove to the religious leaders, to the Sanhedrin, to the Pharisees, that he is in fact the Messiah. He could have played Nicodemus's game and confirmed each item off of his checklist and said, yes, I am a teacher I am a teacher from God. I am a miracle worker. And yes, surely God is with me. But Jesus doesn't. You see, Nicodemus' agenda is to find out if Jesus fits into his theologized and his intellectualized religion. But Jesus, he turns the table and he reveals the hard truth that Nicodemus' religion has no place in the kingdom of God. So he says to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this bewilders Nicodemus. He's like, his mind is blown. He's dumbfounded. He says, how how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? I rephrase that. Let me read it again. He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Right? And so Jesus, he, he graciously rephrases. He says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. But again, this puzzles Nicodemus. He's still confused. He's still perplexed. And so he says, how can this be? You see, this phrase, born again, it's unique in that it has a double meaning in its original language, in the Greek language. It can mean born again or born from above. Nicodemus misunderstood Jesus to mean born again with a second earthly birth. So he asks, how can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? But us, from reading John's text, we know that Jesus meant the latter. He meant born from above as in a spiritual birth. And to us, as we're reading this story, 
we might find it appalling, right? We might find it appalling that a religious leader like Nicodemus is appalled with Jesus' language, with his spiritual language. But if you, if we, if we think about it, a spiritual birth is just as appalling as a second physical rebirth for someone like Nicodemus, right? For someone who's as religious as he is, for someone who's as pious and devoted to the law as he is. Because his whole life was built on this premise that if he's a good Jew, that if he's a faithful Pharisee, that if he serves his community faithfully, then surely he'll have a place in the kingdom of God. There's no doubt that these words not rocked Nicodemus' world. Nicodemus, he believed that his religious ambition would and could usher in God's rule and God's kingdom upon the earth. He was raised to believe that the kingdom of God is something that happens through the work of his children, through the Israelites, which he was. But here's Jesus saying to Nicodemus that his entire livelihood, that his entire religious institution, that his entire governing body is broken. It's broken beyond repair. And it needs to be replaced. So in verse 9, Jesus, he says to him, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He's saying, Nicodemus, all your religious work and striving and governing is works of the flesh. It doesn't matter that you're a Pharisee. It doesn't matter that you're a member of the Sanhedrin. All of this is of the world. It has no place in the kingdom of God. You do not cause the new birth, Nicodemus. I do. Jesus says, it is not in your control. It is in my control. You see, to see the kingdom of God, to enter into life, into eternal life, to experience this new birth, you have to see that it's something that is done to you rather than through you and your position. But Nicodemus, he's still like, what? Huh? Right? It's, it's crazy. It's appalling. But it says it right there in John 3. He says, how can this be? How can this be? You see, Nicodemus, he represents the cultural and the intellectual bondage of the religious and the pious Jews of his time. He was so deeply rooted in his career as a government official and stuck in the status quo of his cultural religion. You see, so he was so blinded by Jesus' words. The reality was the things that Nicodemus held on to actually served as a glass window and it shielded him from truly knowing the God that he declared to know, that he taught about. So he couldn't grasp any of the spiritual language that Jesus was speaking of. I remember my first day of seminary. I walked onto Fuller's campus super excited with high and great expectations. 
I went in with expectations to learn more deeply the Word of God. I went with the expectation to grow closer to God, to grow more intimate to God, to build lifelong friendships, and to get mentors by professors. Right? What, aren't those great expectations? Right? I was hungry, and I was ready to be transformed so that I could be equipped and go out and take part in God's transformation in this world. But let me tell you, little did I know that my world would be just absolutely rocked and flipped over, upside down, shaken, and totally just, yeah, rocked. The questions, the conversations, the theological perspectives, and the new ideas, all that I was learning in seminary, it slowly began deconstructing everything I thought I knew about God. I began asking, why do I believe in what I believe in? Is it because it was spoon-fed to me from my church? Or is it because it's a conviction that I hold to that comes from my authentic self? Everything I was learning was causing me to question my faith and even at times question my relationship with God. And although some of these questions and perspectives and new ideas were good to help me to develop a more sound theology, what I can only see in hindsight is that my so-called theological depth, my knowledge of God, pushed me down this path towards theological bondage. My head was getting puffed up, but my inner man was dying. I remember coming home one Sunday after ministry, after a long day of ministry, and uh, as I sat on my couch, I, I distinctively remember this, this dark cloud beginning to loom over my head, and this sadness just, just overwhelmed me. And so I, I, thought I, was, um, I thought I was just tired and exhausted. So I went to bed thinking I'd sleep it off, I'd wake up the next morning, and I'd feel better. Well, so I went to bed, I went to sleep, I woke up, and I felt worse than I did the night before. I stayed in bed not wanting to come out, not wanting to talk to anyone, not wanting to think about ministry. The thought of ministry, it made me cringe. I wanted to hide in a cave and never come out. I didn't want to, see, I didn't want to be seen any, by, by anyone. That feeling is what I later learned is called depression. This depression, it stayed with me for an entire year. And during that time, on so many occasions, I wondered, how can this be? Just like Nicodemus. How can this be? I'm a pastor. And I do God's work in the church. How can this be? I read and study the Bible. How can this be? I graduated from a seminary school. What we see Jesus doing is chipping away at the glass window separating Nicodemus from him. Chipping away at his religious striving. Slowly pulling apart his theological worldview. Saying you must be born again from the spirit of God. And this born again 
thing isn't something that you do, Nicodemus. It's 100% done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Something uh, we miss in the English language when Jesus says, you must be born again, is the Greek's verb tense. Born in the Greek is, I'm noticing that the church is pretty quiet, all right? <laughs> I'm not used to this, being quiet. I, I need some interaction. So I, don't, I want you guys to say, I want you guys to say genau. We're going to learn Greek. Just say genau. Very good. All right. Genau. Genau is born in the Greek. And that verb, genau, is in the aorist tense. The aorist, it gives the verb a quality that is ongoing and that is repeating. And it gives that action a continuing state of relevance. Meaning, to be born from above is something that is ongoing, that is repeating, and with a continuing state of relevance. To be born from above is something that happens again and again and again throughout the life of a believer. You see, it's not just a one-time conversion experience to be born again. It has immediate and eternal implications. It's a renewing experience that happens at the mercy of God's hand in and only through the power of the Holy Spirit. To be born again is something that happens to you on a second-to-second -second basis. And it's not our doing. It's God's doing. We don't initiate the new birth. God does. And he repeats it over and over until the day of our glorification. Just as the day we first encountered Christ and we confessed him as Lord and Savior, so also every day we invite the Holy Spirit to give us that rebirth experience, to be regenerated. And it's not that Jesus leaves us, it's that we yield to the Holy Spirit so that he does with our body and our lives that which only he can do. As a Nicodemus story comes to a close, close um, John the Evangelist, he wants to be certain that his readers truly understand, that we understand the motivation and the source behind our born-again experience, behind us being born again, that being God's love. And that because God's love is the motivation behind our rebirth, we can believe in his son. You see, apart from God's love, apart from God's love, our rebirth is simply just theological. It's abstract. It's, it becomes these building blocks about some kind of spiritual experience. Without love, it becomes impersonal. And so he makes it a fact and point for us to know God loved us so much, so much so that he gave his one and only son. You see, that's personal. That makes it very personal. Without love, it's something that we just simply believe rather than tangibly experience. It's something that we just simply know about 
rather than live out. And so John, the author, he provides a commentary from verses 16 to 21 of the Nicodemus story to lead us, the readers, into a deeper understanding of Jesus' words and that God's love is the motivation behind all of it. All of it. Verse 16, it begins with four. Church, could you say four? He says four, meaning Jesus is referencing back to everything. Everything that John is referencing back to, everything that just happened between Jesus and Nicodemus. So for us, the readers, it would be helpful for us to read it like this. God gives you the opportunity to be born again on a daily basis to see the kingdom of God here and now. For God so loved the world. God gives you the Holy Spirit to experience this rebirth daily so that with the Spirit of God, you can experience the spiritual things of this world. For God so loved the world. God gives you his Son to be exalted upon the cross so that by his blood you will be, you will be cleansed. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, love is the motivation for our rebirth. Love is the motivation that gives us passage into eternal life. Love is the motivation that God sent his one and only son to die upon the cross for our sins. When love becomes the foundation from which all this flows that John talks about from John 3, 1 through 15, there's no more religious striving. There's no more religious efforts because what our relationship becomes is a religion that is a relationship. It is no longer a, just a religion. It's a relationship with our Heavenly Father that's founded upon his love for us. Jesus offers us, the church, a religion where our lives are so invaded and overwhelmed that we don't have to uphold our good works through our self-righteous acts, but so that the Spirit of God, he upholds us and transforms us into a new person a born-again person. And all this, because he loves you. For God so loved the world. During the, during the year I was experiencing depression, my wife and I, we had the opportunity uh, to attend a pastoral retreat for five days in the northern Sierras. Uh, the expectation for the pastors was very simple. Just come and be. Don't do. Cancel out do. Everything that has to do with do, cancel it out. Just come and be. So I went, and let me tell you, without my phone, without internet access, without social media, 
without ministry, without my books, I didn't know what to do with myself. For several years, you see, I, I'd been on high gear, going at 100 miles per hour without any slowdown. And so when I began experiencing that depression, my body was telling me, Steve, I can't take it anymore. You need to slow down. And when I finally slowed down my mind at the retreat center, I nearly went into shock. I had forgotten how to rest and how to be still. I would say that for the first two days, it was my detox. Detox from ministry, detox from relationships, detox from even being a pastor, detox from media. And it was hard. It was really hard. But when those two days had passed, I began to feel again. I began to sense again and to be comfortable with the silence. And in that silence, the Spirit spoke to me. I began to understand why I was in so much pain, why I was depressed. It was because I had completely neglected my inner life with Christ for the sake of building a ministry tower rather than cultivating the garden that God has called me to. My Bible reading was for knowledge and not to feed the Spirit. My service in ministry was for performance and not for the Spirit. My seminary degree was for my knowledge and not for the, the spiritual knowledge. And that was when, when I noticed that, when I had that epiphany, I fell down and I began crying out to God. In my de 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 depression, I clung on to God, onto the whispers of God. In the presence of God's beautiful creation, I came crawling back to Abba's arms. And you know what? Not once during my desperate pleas to God did systematic theology help me back into the arms of God. Not once during my cries out to God did my pastoral hat or my religious activities draw me back into the arms of God. My knowledge and my religious activities, it served as my glass window that shielded me from truly knowing the God that I proclaim to know on Sundays just like this. It was during that retreat that the Lord's words, you must be born again, Stephen, to see the kingdom of God, became so much more real in my life. You see, what I realized at that moment is that the kingdom of God isn't a tower that God is asking us to build. The kingdom of God is a garden that he invites us to. And no matter how hard we tell a tree to grow, it will not grow. No matter how much we preach at that tree, it will not grow. All we can do is prune it. All we can do is nurture it. But who brings the sun up? Who brings the rain? Who grows its root? The Holy Spirit. That is, what is, that is what God is calling us to do. To tend to a garden. And to let us be born again on a daily basis, trusting that he grows something within us just as he brings the sun up. 
makes you to be born again is something that doesn't happen through us, but to us on a daily basis by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we die to our religious striving. Daily we die to our human efforts. Daily we die to our flesh and we yield to the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit so that by it we can experience a rebirth that transforms every facet of our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you, God, that that you ask us simply to surrender. And as we surrender, you do that, that which we cannot do, that which is impossible for us to do. I pray in the name of Jesus that today, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would invade our lives. And that by doing so, that you would reveal to us once again that you are the ultimate gardener. That you are the grower of all things. And as we see it, may our faith increase. May our trust increase. And may we believe in your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.